0: you're listening to get out and drive podcast with John Custom Nerd Meyer and Sean Mr. Sedan Man Cheryl we'll be bringing you gearheads all the information you never wanted to know about cars and why they should be on the road and not in your garage are you ready to get out and drive hey we're back with another episode of get out and drive podcast I am Sean Mr. Sedan Man Cheryl I am John Custom Nerd Meyer. You know for years uh Oldsmobile was a great name. Uh I mean ev- everybody loves Oldsmobiles mm-hmm. uh, the Cutlass I mean you can go on and on about it. Uh mm-hmm. Today on our podcast we have the former president of the Oldsmobile Club of America, Jerry Wilson. Welcome uh, to the Get on Drive podcast, Jerry.
1: Well, no, thank you, Sean. Sean, pleased to be here.
0: Yep, thanks for thanks for being with us for a little bit. So how long was you the uh, president of the Oldsmobile Club of America?
1: I was president for 10 years.
0: 10 years. Uh, right. how, how did you get into uh, Oldsmobiles in general and then, and then into the uh, president's spot?
1: Well, I, I don't know. It just kind of happened. Uh, <laughs> uh, around 2000, I got involved with the board of directors. They'd invited me to be a, a member of the board of directors to represent the South Central Zone. I had done that, and uh, as I got into it, there, the, the, the club was have, had some challenging things going on with it, and uh, the number of people had asked me if I'd run, and I did, and uh, after having gotten into that position, somehow, I just couldn't get out of it, um, but I, I've um, worked with them for a long time. I got involved with Oldsmobiles back in, actually, it was started in 1970 wow. uh, that I got Oldsmobiles. Um, I, I think you've seen the, my, I've got a 1970 Cutlass Supreme. It's a four-speed uh, that I picked up at the factory on April 9th, 1970, and I drove the car home. My dealer in Des Moines, Iowa, had flown me, along with a friend, uh, to Lansing, Michigan, to the, to the assembly plant, where I picked up the car and drove it home. That's my, really my introduction to Oldsmobile. Uh, family, dad had always driven Chevys. And uh, so, I mean, we were really into that, and when I saw the 1970 Cutlass Supreme back in September of 1969, uh, I saw one before the cars came out. If I knew where they they put them, it was out at a place in, up in northern Des Moines, and I saw this Cutlass Supreme, and I thought, hey, I like that car. And uh, over the course of the next few months, uh, kind of played around with what options I get on it, and then uh, finally settled on options. And uh, you know, we can get into that in, in a little bit. But uh, that was my introduction. Was in 1970. And um, I, I still got that car. That car's in my garage today. Uh, I know you, John. I know you've seen the car I, before.
2: I have. And I have beautiful car.
1: It's a it's a great car. I mean, the car's never, never. It's really it's been repainted, but it hasn't been restored. Still, even has the original clutch in it. So, and it's one of the few four speeds that were built. So wow. uh, we all kinds of. You know, I mean, that's just kind of my background and, uh, in, in Oldsmobile. So I joined the club uh, in around, I guess it was 1990. Uh, and I, number of people, we were having the national meet here in St. Louis and, uh, they invited me to come and participate and I did. And, uh, somehow just it, it, everything else evolved from there.
2: Wow. As a child, Jerry, what, what drove you to be involved with cars? I mean, you're, you're cruising along as, and when did you decide that cars were important?
1: Well, let me tell you, I, I was born in Manchester, Iowa.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In the hospital where I was born, there, there was a uh, the window in the room actually overlooked the, the uh, Phillips 66 gas station that my grandfather owned. Wow. And uh, I mean, literally, with, they were on adjacent properties. And her, uh, my grandfather was involved in automobiles uh, for a long time. He had a service station. And I had an uncle who was about eight years older than me. And so in, in a lot of ways, I spent a lot of time with him You know, when I was growing up. And so I got involved with the cars because my grandfather was involved with them, and I'd go hang out at the station uh, with, with my grandfather and his friends and the other people who were there, and then go out and learn about uh, about cars. I can remember sleeping, you know, in the they they, they lived in a in a house that was at a four way stop, and uh, I'd sleep up in the uh, you know in the upstairs, and all the ones would be open at night. And I remember when I was tiny listening to cars as they stopped at this, at this stop sign, they'd all start up. And by the time I was just probably about six or seven years old, I could tell you what kind of cars they were without even seeing them. Because I could tell by listening to the transmissions whether it was a Plymouth, you know, you start, if you start a Plymouth, if you're into Mopar, you start a Plymouth, you're going to know what, what Plymouth sound like or Pontiac's. Or Chevys or Fords, and they all had a distinct sound. And so I remember doing that. I remember my uncle learning to drive when he was sixteen, learning to drive a jeep, and I was riding around in the yard with him. <laughs> so that was kind of the experience that I had over the course of time. And uh, so I mean it was just cars were around, and I think it's something that uh, you know they, they, I had an interest in them, and I was, uh, I, I, so I was just kind of drawn and, and had a, a kind of a peripheral interest in them. Uh, and then when I started learning how to drive, uh, you know, kind of worked from there. And, and I think you've seen one of the projects I have, that's even recreating that because I learned to drive on a 1951
2: Pontiac. Yeah. We're, uh, we're currently restoring what you would consider a clone of that car. We're taking an absolutely beautiful looking 51 Pontiac and, uh, instead of just cleaning it up, we're, we're going to completely disassemble that car and we're going to restore it to be exactly what you remember. Yes, sir. That's yep. going to so be a fun yeah. project.
1: Well, it is. And, and I think, you know, one of the things you've learned, John, is that I'm not necessarily into getting the cars that are really valuable. Okay. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't focus on doing things like four, four, two W thirties. I don't focus on doing GTOs or getting into the high end cars. A lot of it is restoration. And I think we can get into this later also. Just uh, part of my interest is restoring and, and bringing back history and understanding that. And that's something we can, you know, that, that it's always fun to talk about mm-hmm. and understanding uh, the history of the industry, how it started, uh, understanding what, what it was that, that drove Ransom Olds, Henry Ford. Henry Ford and Ransom Olds were good friends. And uh, Ransom Olds was the first guy with an assembly line. He shared the assembly line concept with his friend, Henry. Henry Ford took it to an entirely different level, but uh, you know, Ransom Olds was building cars that way. Uh, and then, you know, there, we, we've seen all kinds of, of historical things going with Henry Leland uh, with, with Cadillac. Right. And there with he did uh, that all integrated into that. And uh, so, I mean, but Henry Leland was a guy who put another key element into it, but but it's the historical part of it I think that's drawn me uh, as much as anything else. Uh, the cars are great to drive, I, you know. I it, it's it, but just understanding the industry, how it's evolved, why it's evolved, and then what you can do to keep the cars on the road. So uh, that's. You know, I guess we kind of the subjects we can get into today.
2: very much, very much so. And I and I see with your attitude and your collection, um, I know you have a couple of key uh, low production muscle cars. That's great. But I see you're into the history and restoration of the everyman car. Is yes, it, that's correct. Yeah. And, yeah, and right. that's and that's good, and that's a lot a lot different than a lot of other collectors that we've spoken with. That want a Daytona, they want a Superbird, they want um, you know some sort of uh, Max Wedge car, or they want Hemi you know Mopars and things like that. Um, you're you're into restoring the oddball, the everyman car, and that's that's something that not a lot of people are into. And I think that's an incredible niche. It's great.
1: Yeah, well, I've got some stuff that's really pretty rare. Uh, I've got I've got the cars I have are actually they're they're less of them than there are of like 442 W30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that gold Cutlass S that we worked on. Yes. Okay, that car and that looks like just every bad you know the every guy's car, but the car was built with a 455. And I can take that out to a car show and people look at that and say, Oh no, you can't show it in this class because that's got a 455 in it. And I say I'll show you the window sticker. Right. Now, uh- is that there were only about 500 of them built.
2: And that's back when, uh, just like any other car pre-1980, you could, you could pick and choose, and things weren't available in packages so much, you could pick and choose this engine, this transmission, this basic car, and build a very stripped-down car with the biggest engine and, and best, best drivetrain. Right. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can do some really unusual things with it. Uh, you know, and trying to find out p- putting a four speed in a Cutlass Supreme was really unusual. And again, there were maybe 700 of those, of those that were built uh, and nobody even knows much about them. I went into the dealership. Actually, I didn't plan on buying that engine. I didn't plan on putting a 350 in the car. I figured I was going to get a Cutlass Supreme SX with a 455, a two barrel 455, and I was going to put the four speed in it. And when I went in and I talked to Hap Reedquist, he was the guy that sold the car to me. I knew his daughter from church. <laughs> uh, but basically what happened was um, I said, well, I'd like to have the, that, that two barrel 455 with a four speed. He said, you can have a four speed or you can have that, that two barrel 455, but you can't have both on the same car. So you're going to have to choose.
2: Why so- can you not have both on the same car?
1: Oldsmobile never built a Cutlass Supreme SX with a manual transmission. And that was just, they didn't, they weren't going to build it.
2: The SX platform in general never had a manual. Nope. Okay. Okay. Not not built. And this is the interesting thing
1: is that if you were to get the, the, uh, again, getting into the nitty gritty. That's what we're here for. Yep. Okay. In the Cutlass Supreme SX, they had an option called the W32. Mm -hmm. And the W32 was a, uh, as a, 442 drivetrain and suspension. So I mean, basically, it was a 442 with a Cutlass Supreme body. Oh. <laughs> so, but if you bought, if you did that, you know, and if you got the convertible, the convertible, uh, the convertible 442, and the convertible SXW32 were exactly the same car, but you couldn't get the SX with a four-speed. <laughs> I mean, that was yeah. just something you, you could not order it that way. They wow. wouldn't allow it. Now I've seen people who you know, have shown up at car shows with an SX with a four speed. And I said, they didn't build it that way. I said, yes, they did. And I said, I, they did not. I mean, I know Oldsmobile, I've got the production records. I know exactly what they built and There are none of those combinations that right. are, are, are built. So, and I tried.
2: Right. <laughs> it's, right. it's good to talk to someone like yourself That was there at that time, and this isn't hearsay. It's something during the muscle car era that you tried to get an SX with a four-speed, and they just stonewalled you and said no. And it isn't hearsay, and it isn't rumor. Um, it's, It's exactly to the point that you tried, and they said no.
1: Right. Yeah, and I understand why they did that. You know, I've had a chance to talk with GM. In fact, I've done a lot of work with the GM Heritage Center as we've gone back and taken a look at what kind of options there were. And I've gone through and done some analysis and some number counts for them and put together spreadsheets uh, that have shown some of those things. So that information is available. Uh, you know, if you want to get some history about your car, your, you know, any GM car, uh, the GM Heritage Center is an outstanding resource. And, uh, you know, I do a, I've done a number of work, a number of projects with them. Uh, just in, in ver- various uh, cars. I've done a lot of the stuff on the 70 through 72 cutlasses. But, uh, you know, I've also done things all the way back to 1924 and, uh, and on up through 1972. Wow.
2: So you, you uh, do work with GM Heritage Center quite a bit.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, they just gave me a project this past week. This is something that we're trying to get the word out. The GM Heritage Center sent me a note along with a couple of photographs. Uh, When Oldsmobile built their final 500 cars, you know, they built the final 500 Auroras and final 500 intrigues and final 500 Aleros and final 500 Bravadas, final 500 that actually was only 360 silhouettes. What happened was they ended up with a dozen of, of the commemorative packages that go in the Auroras and 15 commemorative packages that go in the intrigues. That never got sent to the original owners. Whoa. And they're trying to locate the people who own those cars because the packages are actually designed for that car. The information that's in the package has the VIN on the car. It's got a copy of the window sticker, has a, uh, an artist's rendering of the car with the VIN and the number out of the 500 that's in it. It's got a medallion and a key fob. Now, all of that stuff is right now, they're still in sealed boxes. So the GM Heritage Center doesn't want to open those packages. They just need to find out who owns those cars. They've got to find out who is it that's got the cars with those bins on. Wow. And with them to try and locate those folks, uh, I've got some theories about what's going on. I found found a pair of them that showed up in Las Vegas at the the, uh, Barrett-Jackson auction in 2008 and found out that at least the Aurora had never been registered.
0: Oh, okay,
1: so it's built in 2003, but it was not registered until ni- until 2008. And actually, there was an intrigue that went with it, and an Aurora, an Aurora, an intrigue, an Alero, a Silhouette, a Rivada, a complete set was sold at that auction
2: wow that is uh that is interesting that they they're 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 entrusting you to get all the information out to find out who who owns or where the vehicles are located that's fantastic
1: well yeah. last week we've I, we've we have uh identified uh, 75 of the final 500 auroras and we know basically where they are and who owns them and we've expanded that group a little bit but again I've, got to, I've asked the GM Heritage Center, they need to get some other information to us so that we can kind of do some more tracking. But it's something where it's just a project, and I get involved with them. I got, I've gotten to know the guys up there, so I help them and try and with some of their projects, and they've certainly been very, very helpful with me.
0: Wow, that's, that is That's incredible. an interesting project for sure. <laughs> so uh, take us back a little bit. What did you learn to drive in?
1: I learned actually the first time I learned to drive was with my grandfather in a 1961 International Scout. Oh. It had scary. a it had a four-banger with a three-speed manual transmission on the floor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, it had manual everything. And uh, it had an I-beam for a front bumper. <laughs> It was, um, that was basically what uh, What I, I, you know, my first time to go out driving was with my grandfather with that car. And then uh, the car that I drove uh, was that 1951 Pontiac. And actually, I've got a photograph of my grandfather, my other grandfather, says my, my mother's father is the one with the scout and the gas station. My father's father, we have a picture of him with that 1951 Pontiac when he bought it. They've got a picture of him standing in front of the car when he bought the car. One of the things I'd like to do is put on a suit and get a picture of me uh with that car
0: Oh, right. Kind I think of recreate that'd be that picture yeah, yeah, that'd be a great yep. picture
2: to recreate when we get finished with it, yeah,
0: that'd be cool,
1: right, so that's kind of you know give you an idea about what it is we're doing with that. in fact, the car that we've got uh we we found it it was less than fifty miles from where my grandparents lived,
0: really,
2: yeah, it is uh to kind of tell our listeners a little bit, we are currently restoring at Frisco Hill our day job mm-hmm. uh we're restoring a uh, spring green uh currently spring green 56 or 50 excuse me 51, 51 pontiac right um and uh it is a beautiful car very little rust um uh, and uh, an absolutely brand new you know 60 year old or more spare in the back of that car i saw that was uh that was an old tire that was in the back of your car. <laughs> and it was brand yeah. new. Had the little nipples all over the tire and yeah. never been and on the got, road. Still got
0: the label on still it. Still got the everything. label on it yeah. and
2: everything. That, that car is a, uh, is a serious time warp in uh, a beautiful car. And that's what I tell people all the time. You take an incredible car and you make an outstanding car out of it. And I think that's what we're going to be doing with your, uh, with your car.
1: That's yeah, so, Well, uh, we're going to take there are a couple options that on the car that have got to come off. The mm. visor needs to come off. And, uh, we need, there's a trim piece that goes around the uh, fuel filler, uh, that needs to come off. But I mean, we're just going to go back. I know what the car looked like when he had it right. and we're just going go to that. So, I mean, it's just, it's, again, there's some things that were on it. You'd say, Hey, I'd like to do it, but I just, I, I can't wait because when we bought the car, as you know, the car had an automatic transmission on it. and mm-hmm. We've got to get, uh, we've got to get a three-speed manual. And that was, what, we bought that 1950 Pontiac with a three-speed manual. It was cheaper to buy the car than it was by the transmission.
2: Wow. Yeah, that is incredible. I know we've done a little bit of restoration on the car, have some of it painted, uh, and have the engine and transmission together. Uh, and, uh, and I think that that stuff's getting going on the car and, uh, it's, it's going
0: to be a beautiful restoration. Yeah, it's going to be neat. I, I know last time I talked to you when you was in there, you, you told me that, uh, an interesting story about the original car that you had drove uh, about what happened to that.
1: <laughs> we had the car one day the car was parked out on the street in uh, Lutherville Maryland and when i came back from where i it just been parked out there on the street when i came back somebody had, had shot the front windshield actually it's a split windshield but they had hit the windshield with a bb gun and broke that glass um, when we reported that to the insurance company they totaled the car
0: for a broken windshield
1: the bro- yeah, half the windshield was broken, but and it was about seventy-five dollars to fix it, and so they totaled the car. Uh, the car ended up in a collection in Baltimore. I don't know any more about it than that. I'd love to go back and find that car, but you know, it's just easier if not. You know, I don't know where it is or even where to start looking for it. Right. Um, but that was um, yeah the, yeah it was uh, the car was in great shape other than having the windshield broken. And thinking about it, I wish we would have just replaced it, and spent the seventy-five bucks, but. About what year was that? It was in uh, about
0: 1966. Okay. Wow. So about a 15 year old car at that time, and yeah.
1: Well, a 15 year old car that cost around eighteen hundred dollars new.
0: Right. Right. Okay. That's just incredible to me that they would total a car for a broken windshield. And
1: (laughs) well, take a look at what the prices were. I mean, you know, I've got a, you know, as you know, I've got a '62 Chevy. And it's a Chevy was dad's first new car and I've got all the, the paperwork from where he bought it and he paid $2,500 for it. Right. brand Wow. Okay. So, I mean, when you start at $2,500 and you keep it around 10 years and it's, uh, you know, it's not worth a whole lot.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> what, um, what are you currently, uh, I know we're working on the, uh, the 51 Pontiac for you. Um, Anything currently in your collection that, uh, that you're currently building or having restored or what is your, what is your plans or any cars you're looking for right now?
1: Uh, I actually, I've got plenty right now to keep keep us. I mean, somehow these things just happen to show up and, uh, you know, something that shows up that I've, you know, haven't known about, but you've seen, uh, one of them that we've been working on. We're almost done with it. We're still waiting for SMS to make some fabric for it so we can do the interior, and I still have to find some uh, exterior trim parts. And um, actually, and, and if you want to see what the car looks like, uh, are you familiar with the movie Gone in 60 Seconds? Very much so. Okay. The original one?
2: Yes. I'm talking about the real No, I always tell everybody Eleanor is yellow.
1: Okay. <laughs> and take a look and you go into that movie. And you know when Eleanor goes into the, into the uh, car wash right at the end of the movie?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. The
1: car that was immediately ahead of Eleanor is the same as the, that, that 1970 Delta 88 that you're working on.
2: Wow. That's the uh, W33 Delta 88 two-door right. that I painted. Yep. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Very and good. That,
1: car, that car's got an interesting history because uh, actually I've, I've talked to the daughter of the guy who ordered the car. I've, I've got the documents that he filled out when he actually went to the dealership in California to order the car. I've got the documents from the dealership that went to also be able to order it. And I've got a copy of the window sticker. It's got a W30. It's And as far as options go, about the only two options they didn't order on that car were heavy-duty frame that was available. And the other was a light package. And you could order a light package. Uh, it was available on, it, it was a, along with the W33, but basically, those cars were built for Highway Patrol. The cars had absolutely no marking on them. There's no W33 marking on the outside of one of them. They were as stealth as they could be, but basically, many of them, the light package was for the lights that you put on top of the car. So, I mean, basically, it was set up for Highway Patrol and, and uh, basically police use. And most of those cars ended up in that kind of a, a role. So a lot of them got ridden hard, put away wet, and they're gone.
2: Right. So, and, and I know that, that when, uh, when I spoke to you about it, and we did a lot of documentation when I was stripping and doing the car and doing the bodywork, work, um, that we were extremely confused that it is a Nugget gold car. And that's the only color that is on the, uh, I, that is on the uh, data tag. Well, it's, it's burnished gold. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, yes, you burnished gold. Yeah, because that's just like the color of, uh, of, of Bernie G.
1: Bernie G, which is a Cutlass S. And also, you know, there's a have got a, a, a white uh, Cutlass SW31 that was originally burnished gold.
0: Wow.
1: And so when it comes time to renew that one, that's going to go back to the burnished gold. So, I mean, that's another one that's in the queue. And so, I mean, we've got, we've got several projects that are there. In fact, if you just go through that, that garage is over to the old Frisco Hill uh, facility, basically we've got, uh, there's a, um, a, a 1971 SX convertible, it's red, and I have a twin to that that's already done. We also have a 1972 W34 speed, That's another one of the 33 that needs to be done. And so that's another one that's in the queue. We've got the one that's back in the corner, it's Cutlass Supreme, it's red with a white top. And that one we've talked about doing all kinds of things with, and I think we've got some unique ideas about things to do with that one.
2: Yeah, I think and we're going to keep that under our hat. We're going to no, keep that not, under our hat for yeah. a little bit.
1: No, I'm not going to talk about it. That's exactly
2: <laughs> right. And and uh, to everybody out there listening, we have uh, super secret plans to build to build that car, and that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> yeah, me too. That hopefully hopefully we get together and we can break the internet with that. That'll be that'll be great. Yeah.
1: But one of, the, one of the goals in all of these is to make them look like they originally looked. I've got no interest in making it look custom. I you know, it's just take them back to look like what they did. And uh, for the most part, you know it's like with, uh, with Bernie G, the, the Cutlass S. Uh, that car is one that who's going to restore one of those? Uh, I mean, it's just it's, it's not worth that much. But it's, it's kind of like there's a story about uh, I don't know if you guys know Dave Walden, but he was the founder of ECS. And uh, and they make a lot of parts, reproduction parts, primarily focusing on Mopar. Uh, but I've talked him into doing a number of things for for my Oldsmobiles, and they've been very good to work with. Uh, but w- w- one of the cars, he had just some background with him. He had gone to uh, uh, Mopar Nationals with 1970 uh, Hemi Cuda, and he when he walked out of there, out of that place, he had the highest scoring car they'd ever had at Mopar Nationals. A couple of years later, he took a 440 Challenger, a 1970 440 Challenger, and walked out of there with the highest score they'd ever had. A few years later, he decided he was going all out, and he got a car that was, had, was the highest scoring car they'd ever had. He even went in and asked them, what did you deduct points for? What was the highest deduction? They said, you had the wrong color power steering fluid. And he said, well, excuse me, but here's what was in the car. Here's what's in it. What was the second biggest deduction? Well, this car you know, was, was one that actually created kind of a stir with him because the car that he had done this with was a 1970 four-door Valiant with a slant six.
2: I, I do remember that car. We spoke about that car and he did that and restored that car for that reason for details and just as a snub.
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. He even went back and reproduced the imperfections that were in the car when the car was built. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, uh, if you're familiar with the, the RPM product uh, you know for getting rid of rust, right. they developed that product for that car. Because when the Valiants were built, they were, there was an awful lot of the car was exposed, a lot of the steel that was exposed. And as a result of it, the car was rusting by the time it got to the end of the assembly line so they needed to fix that so it wasn't oily and so he developed rpm for that reason so you think about a four door valiant what it's worth and you take a look at what he paid to do it they took 7000 photographs of that car to document everything about the car as they put it together but if you can imagine restoring a hemi cuda that's worth in excess of seven digits and you know and here you get beat by a four door valiant
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is a big deal that's that's a really big deal yeah
1: yes but i you know and i understand what he did and why he did it and i mean that's one of the things that i've tried to do is you know instead of showing up with these you know these cards that are worth it some of them that's probably not worth the money but on the other hand there's another dimension of this that we're doing it for and there's a historical perspective that goes on with this there's stories to be told and stories that need to be captured. And that's something where, you know, I think what you guys are doing is helpful and helping people understand that there are things other than just the flashy, fast car uh, that that this needs to go about.
0: You know, one of the things that people will ask me about restoring a car, whether it's worth restoring or not, and I'll just simply ask them, do you like the car or do you love the car? I mean, it doesn't have to be something super rare. It doesn't have to be the one-of-one do you love the car? If you love the car, then it's worth pursuing.
2: I see more people wanting to restore an every man's car because a lot of people couldn't afford a muscle car. Uh, I see some other people getting into four-door cars because those were the cars that grandpa had or grandma had and things. Not everybody had a 62 to 72 two-door four-speed big block muscle car. Right. Other people are starting to get into the oddball stuff.
0: Yeah. And I think that's great. I mean, build what you can with what you have and enjoy it. Right. Plain and simple. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I mean, one of the cars that I have right now, I've got a 1995 Oldsmobile Aurora. And there's a big, there's a great history about that car. Now, mine's got 225,000 miles on it. And I've had it since it was new. Uh, but that car, when you understand that the car wasn't an Oldsmobile when it did the show parser,
2: what type right? of vehicle was it?
1: Well, have you opened up the hood and looked at the at the engine of an Aurora?
2: I know it's a Cadillac.
1: It is. It's a, it's a, it's a baby North Star. The, yes. it, it, the car, when it did the show car circuit, was a Cadillac. Okay. It was a Cadillac Aurora. And uh, the General Motors, this goes back to the GM board of directors, and they decided to give the Aurora to Oldsmobile as a, a tool for them to try and recover the brand. If you know the history... Uh, The guy who designed it, that was the last car that he did for General Motors. The first car he did for General Motors was a 1959 Cadillac. Hmm. So his books were a 59 Cadillac and a 95 Aurora. (laughs) He also did the 1967 Camaro and Uh, the 1963 Buick Riviera.
2: That is some iconic work and things to have in your portfolio. Well, absolutely.
1: The guy's name is David Holes. H-O-L-L-S, and David Holes was a, was a great, I mean, he, from a design standpoint, he was kind of a leader, and he was uh, everything that he did. If you think about the 59 Cadillac, and he'll tell you that the 60 really was the best one they put together, the 59 <laughs> over the top, and the fifth, 60, they, they got it dialed in, uh, but then you take a look at the 63 Riviera, you take a look at the 67 Camaro, take a look at the 95 Aurora, And some of the other stuff that he was involved with, every one of those was a unique automobile, and the design was—they were all very, very unique. They certainly weren't uh, just kind of like your—you know—everybody else's car.
2: And and throughout history, that's of those cars you threw out that he had his hands in. Those are iconic. You can show a '59 Cadillac to anyone, and even if they don't know. You know, Hot Wheels from
0: helicopters.
2: I mean, they can figure out that's a Cadillac.
0: They see those big fins and they know what it is. They know
2: that's sure. a Cadillac. They know that's what a '67 Camaro looks like. Mm-hmm. They know what these things look like, and that that is incredible.
0: Yeah.
1: And and but those kinds of stories are there, and they've been there for a long time. Uh, those kinds of stories are are all around. If you go back, you know, to uh, actually in the uh, early 1900s. Uh, one of the fun things I have is a dis- when I it's really fun to have a discussion with some younger people about the first electric cars. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you, you ask them when, when were the first electric cars built? And many of them are aware of the EV one. And they say, well, that was back in the eighties. <laughs> and I said, and they, and I, and they said, well, that was the first ones. I said, well, you got the last two digits, right? <laughs> but I said you're you're a hundred years off on. They were building electric cars in the late 19th century. Yes. Okay. And Oldsmobile even had Oldsmobile had an electric. They had uh, one of the things that, that Ransom Olds had done is he knew that his wife Meta needed when well, she she needed to have a car, and if she was going to drive it, driving a car with one of those smelly, stinky, noisy. And very hard to handle uh, internal combustion engines. He said, I'm going to build a car with an electric engine in it. And he actually showed up at the 1901 uh, Chicago Auto Show with an electric Oldsmobile. So, and, and you t- think about a guy like Olds, and Olds had done actually in 1887, he actually produced a steam powered automobile. And then in 1897, had the internal combustion engine, 1901 had electric, and in the 1930s, e even with the, with the Rio, had a diesel engine. So here's a guy who went across the span of all of that. So, I mean, he's already done electric. So if you want to talk electric, Oldsmobile, we'll talk about him. And if you want to see one, uh, you can go up and see, see one of them. It's at, in the museum at the R.E. Olds Transportation Museum in Lansing, Michigan.
2: Wow. That is uh, somebody who has certainly run the gamut of innovation.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. That,
2: that is, that is crazy. And I know we've spoken with you a lot about the history of Oldsmobile and your interest. Um, who were your mentors? Who were people that helped you get your knowledge as you were learning?
1: Well, actually what I ended up, uh, if we go on back, we take a look it was, you know, the guys who were with the Oldsmobile up in Lansing, uh, you know, we had uh, people who were around who would help and they try and get that information. A lot of it's just a matter of digging it out. A lot of the information I've gotten recently uh, in the last, probably the last 15 years has come from the GM Heritage Center. And they have allowed me to go back into some of the records and the archives and, and go through some of the pages that they've got of their production numbers and pull those numbers out and then actually analyze them and found out in some places where the, the, the information they had wasn't well organized. Was in misplaced some of what you know in the right place at all. So we had to go you know help them uh, get those things organized. A lot of the information that they had was or it was actually reported at the uh, in the uh, in June and early June, but the production continued into July. And there were really small numbers, but those numbers didn't get in reflected in those. So part of that has just been working with them, and you know they don't have the time to go back and go into that nitty gritty detail. And there are times when I'll just go back with certain things that I want to find out. I wanted to find out how many 1970 uh, Oldsmobile Cutlass Supremes were built with four speeds. And uh, so what I had to do is find out how many of them were built with the M20 transmission. There were 679. Okay. And I know that from the information that they had. I'd been calling them and asked them for that information for years, and they couldn't find it. They didn't have it. But nobody had, you know, it, it was there, but it was buried. So, uh, you know, if you want to talk about the uh, uh, some of these other ones, like the L33 and that one, there were 916 of the cutlass acid. Uh, but those, that's information that's available. And that's something that I've been able to feed back to uh, the Heritage Center and said, all right, I've or- actually organized it. So I've got the total numbers and the percentages and, you know, of all those options. And so when people tell me, hey, you know, how many were there? Uh, instead of having to go through it, you know, I've done some of that research. I know some of the questions people are going to want to know, and it's going to take more time than than what they've got, uh, to go after that. I've, I've got a specific interest. I can go get it, but I'm sure there are a lot of them that I haven't looked at yet.
2: Right. And, and you seem to be able to, uh, through, through your connections, be able to get your eyes and hands on things that no one else in the world is, has, has had a chance to organize. That's correct.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's
2: fair. Yeah. Wow. That is Uh. that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. I and, know and we always talk about what drives youth. We're working on supporting the next generation and everything. Are you doing anything currently with your information that is uh, kind of wrangling the younger crowd?
1: Well, there, there is, and we've had some of those discussions. I, I remember one of the, one of the great experiences and I've, there are a number of these that I've had. But I was out and I've judged with uh, a number of the other clubs. And one time I was out judging a national mate uh, for the Cadillac Moussao Club. We had a group of young kids that were hauling information back and forth from the judges and back to the judging, you know, back to the, the, the uh, uh, tabulators. And uh, I asked, the, you know, these guys were hauling stuff back. And I said, are, are you interested in any of these cars? They said, well, they're just big old Cadillacs. And I said, let me make a suggestion to you while you're out looking around. I said, there's a group of cars over there. These cars were built around 2000. Uh, They're in the newer generation of the CTSs and they have Vs on them. And what I want you to do is go on over and you take a look at those and tell them you'd just like to look over over the, the, the models that have a V emblem on them. Tell them you'd like to see about the car and have them tell you about it. Well, they came back to me later and said, we had no idea they did this.
0: <laughs>
1: I didn't know what they were. Uh, I had a friend who actually had a, a, a Corvette Z06. And he was telling me one day he was going out to get on the interstate. And he noticed that as he was getting on the interstate that evening, he noticed that there was a Cadillac that was right behind him. He said, I could see the Cadillac emblem on the, on the grill. And he said, and I just decided I'd romp on it. So he's got, he's got a, a Z06. He's got 505 horsepower and he was going, he said, he's going pretty fast by the time you get down to the interstate. He said that that Cadillac was right on my back bumper for the entire trip. <laughs> and, I, and I said, you'd need to have a car that had a ZR1 on it and about 634 horsepower if you were going to walk away from him at all, because basically he's working with a version of the ZR1 engine in the car that he's operating, Okay. So I can tell you the car had a V on it, and uh, it's really, I mean, it's something where people don't realize, and those cars are available, you can go buy them. And if you want one, you get a sport wagon with a, with a six-speed manual transmission.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, come on. And for young people, if you want to do something that's kind of fun, you know, you have something like that. You show up at a stoplight. Well, John, I'm not sure you've seen my, I've got an 82 Camaro that my wife and I bought. The long I time haven't
2: back. seen that car.
1: And what, and what happened was, uh, our daughter used that, that was what she drove to high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the now the guys at the Chevy dealer, I'm almost going to replace the engine at about 120,000 miles. But they told me until your kids are 16, until your kids are at, out of high school, uh-huh. we will put a V8 in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Once in high school, we can put a V8 in it, but not until. Wow. Uh, until that time, the car that that's what my daughter drove to high school. And this car had a drag race with a school bus. It depended on which one was, if it was going downhill or uphill, as to which one would win. <laughs> <laughs> it looked fast. Right. Uh, our, son, our son drove a 1970 Cutlass Supreme SX. Mm-hmm. We found great body, but the paint wasn't very good. And we sure. thought, well, hey, just go ahead and drive that to school. And then as, as soon as he graduated, we did a frame-off restoration. Wow. Uh, the body were good. And so now that's, if you've seen the triple black one that, that I've got?
2: I have, I have.
1: That was my son's high school car.
2: Wow. Mm.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, with the kids, they both had an opportunity to drive something that was a lot older. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot different than what it was that, you know, they, their friends were Their friends were driving Toyotas and Hondas. And right. He'd, he'd show up at a gas station and people would stop and they'd say, oh, that's a nice car. It's a Cutlass Supreme. Mm-hmm. So would you get a 350 in that? And he says, nope, it's a 455.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice.
2: <laughs> and at
1: that point, they'd, get these, they'd, they'd all back down and go, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, they know. They know. Yep.
1: Well, no, I'll tell you, John, I've got a, my son is, is in his mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a real car guy. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he has, has loved car. In fact, from the time he was one year old, he could walk across a parking lot and tell you what kind of cars they were by brand. That's great. One. <laughs> right. When, when about five years old, he went to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. They, 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 uh, at, 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 the end of Sunday school, one of the teachers uh saw my wife and, and carol had gone in to talk with them they said we're, we're really concerned about your son
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they, she said well carol said well why are you concerned he said well when we showed him this car we asked him what it was and he said he didn't know Whoa. and carol said well the reason he said he didn't know was he doesn't know if it's a ford or a chevy it's nondescript you can't tell so if you ask him <laughs> what kind of car what it was, he would tell you he doesn't know because he can't tell what brand it is. <laughs> so don't be too concerned about it. But just you know, and but I've had this talk with my son, and you know my son and, and really and Doc Watson, you know the guy who did Hurst Holes. It, he didn't like trucking cars. He didn't believe in having cars hauled to a show. Mm-hmm. He said these, you know, as hearst Holes, he says these cars were built to drive. Mm-hmm. Those cars were not built. To be just three dimensional uh, art right, so that's what they're there for my son my son at nineteen seventy cut the supreme sx and what was interesting was you know he, people you know he he said this thing will really move, and he certainly wouldn't have people just walk away from him when he you know got you know somebody decided they wanted to run it up a little bit, and uh, he said he probably got more thumbs up and he said hey I, I had people with Mercedes sls that were giving me a road trophy (laughs) all right so i mean does it get better how does it get better than that
0: right
2: yeah that is that is incredible we talk all about uh, using your cars and being able to get out and drive and you talk about road trophies things like that those are the things that you remember when you're driving your car uh you can pull up with a car and we we had another episode we talked about uh, uh patina cars cars that are unrestored muscle cars or unrestored cars with kind of the paint wearing off them and things and you see someone pulling up next to you with a very expensive car and they're looking at your car with patina Mm -hmm. and it's a weird feeling when you realize you know you're driving around in in a kind of a trashy looking car and the guy in the in the beautiful expensive car is looking at you and and it's it's kind of cool but I, I see what you're saying with your, with your son. He, other people had more valuable cars and they're, uh, they're checking him out.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, if you have an appreciation for that, and that's one of the things if you've got appreciation for appreciation for automobiles, there are a lot of people, very expensive cars that don't understand what it is that you have. And some of those that have got a patina on them will really run. And it's something that is, is fun to do. Uh, but I think it's it, really part of it is the education. Part of it, you know, getting the cars out on the road and driving them, people have an appreciation just for the fact that you're out and they find out, hey, I can't believe that car will actually run with these other ones. You know, that if you take a look at those SXs that are out there, those SXs, you know, people with with GTOs want to race me, you know, they, they really want to race me. Okay. And I say, look, I've got a, I have a 455. Okay. So do you. But. My 455 has a two-barrel carburetor on it, and I've got a 256 rear axle. You've got something like a 391. Your car is built to run from zero to about 95 miles an hour. So I'll tell you what we'll do. If you want to race, (laughs) let's take them up to 95 miles an hour, and then let's punch them. Right. Because I know they're done. Their foot's on the floor at 95, and with with these SXs, with the 256 rear axles, Hey, they've got all kinds of room to run and they've, they've, <laughs> they'll go out there and they'll, so if you want speed and it's all axle things. And I've had people say, well, how is it that, you know, the car's better? Well, it depends on where do you want to apply that power? Right. So understanding the technological part of it. There's a technical end of it and you can be fast, you know, you know, in a drag race or you can be fast at the top end. It's like that W33, the W33 has got 390 horsepower. It's got a 292 rear axle. And I talked to some police officers in Lansing, Michigan. They said they had one in 1970. And one day they decided they'd take it out and run it through a speed trap. And they took it through the speed trap at 152 miles an hour. Wow.
2: <laughs> that's okay? that's pretty quick for that, that lunky old cop car. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And, and on top of that, they said, well, how do you, you know, what's the best way to stop it? Well, they said, well, basically if you have to, Just, you know, as you're out there and you're going fast, you need to get the car stopped and the brakes aren't going to get you stopped, shifted into reverse. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Now, now you've got to understand that the transmission that's in it is not the regular M40. You know, the General Motors had an M40, which was their turbo hydromatic 400. They had an M41 in this one. It was a heavy duty one and the car was built to be abused.
2: And that's, so, that's part of the taxi cab and, 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 and severe duty package, right?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I know when we had that car in the shop, every time I'd fire that thing up, it'd put a smile on my face just listening to that big old car. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's got a sound to it that you got to hear out of this big car. It's, right. it's neat. It's absolutely absolutely <laughs> incredible.
1: Have, have you guys seen the video of that car doing a burnout?
0: No, have not.
1: I'll have to send it to you.
0: Yeah, okay. I'd love to
1: see it. Uh, I'll link to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the guy who restored it is a guy in Texas who actually the guy who redid the engine. Uh-huh. Uh, right after, about a couple of weeks after he finished the engine, and this was or maybe nine years ago. Uh, what he had done was he went out and he did a video of the car during a burnout. Now, here's this clunky looking car. It's just a, a big old Oldsmobile, but the car, the suspension on it is built for performance. The engine is built for performance. The transmission is built for, you know, basically for it. And that car doesn't act like it's the size it is. No. But it's got the things on it that you'd put on a 442.
2: I know we've had this conversation for a little bit. Do you think the, uh, the wide wheels are, are, are real and, and line built original for that car or no? They
1: had special wheels for that car that were, that, that were built for it. Uh, so, I mean, basically when a guy ordered it, he ordered it as if he was with a highway patrol. He ended up, he put 188,000 miles on the car.
0: One, one of the things we always uh, talk about with our guests too is uh, where do you see the the future of the industry going?
1: You know, a lot of it has to do with uh, the people who are involved in the hobby. Uh, you know, I remember uh, at one time I had gone out to a car show, it was in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, they, there was, somebody had a 1932 Chevy Cabriolet. And I was really impressed with that car. thought it was pretty neat. That car just was off the chart expensive. If I wanted to buy a 1932 Chevy Cabriolet today, it's going to be a lot less expensive than what it was at that point in time. I found out that if you, if you want to find out, if you want to determine what cars people will be interested in, the highest level of interest will be in what were the cars that were built when you were a senior in high school. Okay. And those are the years, it's right around that time, that people are going to have their interest. Well, you know, the, their interest continues to evolve. I remember when I got involved in this, a lot of people really focused on the 1950s vintage Oldsmobile. Well, then we've, you know, had a, an evolution of that, and the Cutlasses came along, and the 442s, and the and the Buick GSs, and the, and the Pontiac GTOs, and all of that. Well, those, you know, the clubs had to evolve. With the Oldsmobile Club, one of the things that happened with us is we had founded the the club is 50 years old. But a few years after the Oldsmobile Club was established, there became a lot more interest in the Cutlass and 442s. Well, the people who had the old Oldsmobiles, the 50s Oldsmobiles, thought, well, hey, you know, this is a bunch of young people. They've got a different interest than we do. And so they established the same people who founded the 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 Oldsmobile Club of America did the National Antique Olds Club. And that was focused on the older cars. And so they kind of split off and kind of went their own way because they had a different interest. Mm-hmm. And right now, one of the things that's very important, and something that we've <clears throat> talked about over the course of time, if indeed you're looking at where the, this, this hobby is going to go, take a look at the G-bodies. Okay, yes. yep. G-bodies, and people are looking at those, and they're drooling over the G-bodies, saying, hey, we really like those. But again, what was popular when they were in high school, when do the kids grow up? When do they have the money? And then, you, and then when do you have the money and the time? And then you just want to go back and redo one of them. And so right now, I know that they're, the guys are working on new parts for G-bodies, and those are coming around. And the clubs have got to adapt to what it is that's going on with the, the people who are there. Uh, you know, We've got to be responsive to that. One of the things I'm, I'm talking right now with our insurance company about is actually encouraging more driving kinds of events. Uh we did one last year. We had a basically it was a G body a, a G body driving uh event and they did the tail of the Dragon
0: out mm-hmm. in North Carolina. Wow.
1: They had a wonderful time. The people who went had a great time want to do it again. Well those are the kinds of things that we need to focus on. You know I've asked my son and you know about about car shows. He's really not interested. And going to a car show, that's on a paved parking lot. It's asphalt. It's hot,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so you sit there with it. You got a cooler with something to drink in it, and you spend the afternoon telling people not to touch your car. And he said, "That's why would I want to do that? I'd much rather get in the car and go drive it somewhere, and just get in it and go somewhere. And let's do let's do something like that." And so those are the places where the clubs have to get involved with it. The Vintage Chevrolet Club of America. Uh, Has what they call a passport program, and people go out and they drive. And then, as they go places, they get, and it's like a a US passport, and that's the format of it. And then they get record what they've done and the mileage that they've done on various tours that they do in the club. The Cadillac Club uh, does the same thing with their, they've got a touring class for judging, but they also go out and they have touring events where people can go sign up. And these events are like 100 miles. But it may be fifty miles one way and fifty miles back. And then you and then for the portions of that you've driven on it, you get record, that's recorded. You go to the national meet and they recognize people for the number of miles that they've taken on the official programs. So that's another way to recognize these people instead of just saying, hey, we'll just, you know, have them show up and, and they're, you know, pretty cars to look at. They're actually taking the cars out and driving them. Those cars don't have to be in the same condition. <clears throat> they're not going to have judges looking at them. And when, when people drive them down the highway, they're not going to notice a difference. They can't tell the difference between, a, uh, let's say, a 400-point a, a car and a 320-point car. I mean, they'll not know what it is, but they'll be very impressed with the fact that the car's out on the highway and, and do that. So, I mean, I, I, I've done a, a kind of a variation on that. When I go to a national meet, you know what car I take? Which one? I take my 1999 Silhouette. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And the Silhouette is Senior Preservation. The car has, you know, you take a look at it, and the car has been been around the block a bit. I mean, it's got 386,000 miles on it. (laughs) And on Friday night, the car goes out, and it actually goes out on the Drag Strip. (laughs) So I go out and I run the car down the strip. And I mean, I'll I'll end up racing Mustangs sometimes. But I mean, when I go out and I run them, people are shocked when they they ask me, well, yeah, what kind of time are you having? The the times I'm getting are around what the standard cutlasses from 1968 were doing. Got a video of us actually doing 10 laps Mm -hmm. at Bristol International Speedway. So uh, we went out and actually (laughs) did 10 laps on the speedway.
0: In that silhouette.
1: when, when When we got out there. Actually, they had me like, you know, they, they took us out in groups of 10. And, uh, and I said, look, I'm not going to go out. I, I put me at the back. Okay. There are people who are going to be doing videos from their cars. And if somebody behind me who's got a Cutlass and they're seeing this van out running around with the rest of them, <laughs> it's going to ruin the experience for them. So I said, put me in the back. And so I, I was doing that. So I'm, so I'm laying around in the back and they're thinking, well, you need to be in the back because they're going to be passing anyway. And I was running up the back bumper of a, of a 455. <laughs> <laughs> and I basically, as long as you know how to, how to run around a track like that, it's a short track. And I mean, I was having to get on the brake to keep from running past the car in front of me. I can do this with an Oldsmobile. It's a silhouette. And it's not going to be a threat to anybody. But there are people out there who are thinking, hey, if he, if he can take a silhouette out there, I can get my Oldsmobile out and run it around for heaven's sake. Right. I mean, come on. But get out and, and go drive the car and enjoy it and, and just realize that, that you can have fun with your automobile. And you can do that regardless of whether you've got the. But you can get an old Cadillac or get a, an early 90s Cadillac, uh, get an early 2000s, like a 2002, for not very much money. And you can go out and you just go drive it and enjoy it. And Cadillacs have a real advantage in that people who own them took good care of them. They've been serviced. And the cars have got real good service records. Just take a look at that. And you realize, hey, I can have a Cadillac. And you know, I talked with a friend of mine. I said, well, would you rather drive a Cadillac? He says, I can't afford one. I said, well, don't go buy a new Cadillac. I said, go buy a used one. And so I helped him find the used Cadillac. He actually paid less money for the, the Cadillac than he would have paid for the other car. Drove the car. And really had a much nicer ride for a lot less money. Insurance was less. And, you know, there was no depreciation on it. You know, he he bought it relatively inexpensive. But those are the things that you can do. And as far as kids, uh, you know, we've got some kids across the street. And their daughter is going to be getting her driver's license in September. Now, we're working on what kind of car she wants. And instead of trying to find something that's, that's fast and sporty and new and expensive, I said, let's go find something else that she's interested in. Now, right now, I think her number one uh, nominee is a, uh, is a uh, Volkswagen uh, minibus. Uh, but I said, part of the problem with those is they're very expensive.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. Anything, anything pre-67 included, anything 67 and down, split, split buses, split screen buses are getting astronomical in price.
1: Right, but let's take a look at what else is out there. But from my perspective, if we can get young people driving younger, the older cars, it saves money in insurance certainly for mom and dad, and it gives them a more of an appreciation for some of the stuff that was around. Now there are some a lot of options that aren't on them; they don't have airbags. But somebody, if you, if I get into the '80s and '90s, they do. And if I'm going to go with a, if I go with a G body, if I get a G body for a kid, it's a great car. It's larger than most everything that's out there now. It's relatively economical, and it's pretty inexpensive to, to buy and to drive. So there are, are a lot of options that are out there for people and ways that we can get the car hobby actually more active for, and, and a lot more att- attractive for the younger generation.
2: Yeah, I, I always have pushed uh, you know, not using your phone while you're driving and all that stuff, and, and all of the new technology that has taken – taking you, the driver, out of the driving experience.
1: There's something that, that I that I did with my son, and I think that's something that should be considered for by others. We did was when he was 16 years old. We went down, we took the, the Audi driving experience. It was two days driving Audis around the track at Sebring. Mm-hmm. And they had different experiences and different things that you had to do with this. But a lot of the, the focus on it was doing some things that you might not otherwise do. And one of them was they had a very long parking lot. And what you had to do is you actually had to drive on there, right off the parking lot. So just, so you've got paved and then you've got unpaved. And what they did was they started you on a long run. They had uh, like some sawhorses up and said, that sawhorse is a truck. Now you're gonna get up to about 60 miles an hour driving on on this grassy surface. Your job now is to get the car onto the paved surface without going across a lane and without going into oncoming traffic as oh. you pull the car on, onto the highway mm-hmm. for, as an experience. Now, this is something that, you know, and, and you couldn't, you, you actually couldn't go out and do, they had a Gymkhana exercise, but you could not do that Gymkhana exercise until you were able to execute getting the car onto the highway safely, Okay. Now, this is something that our son, he's 16 years old, and he had to do it. Those are things that actually is better driving experience than doing the stuff you're going to do in a driver's education class. Right. But to go and actually test the car, <clears throat> go run it around turns, run it around curves, realize that, hey, you know, entrance ramps can be kind of like a, a racing course. And, uh, you know, you pick the, the quickest way through it and the smoothest way through it. And you find when you're driving that way that you're actually thinking further ahead and you're going to be making better decisions, but again, it's experience.
0: Right? Yeah. my My youngest son did something similar. He did the uh, brakes driving experience, and, and they do the you run a car off the road and then get it back up on the on the asphalt, and they do the drunk goggles and and all that stuff. And it, I think it was a really great experience. And what was cool for me is they they let the parents kind of hang out, and we got to watch the kids. But they would drive us around in a, in a little minivan and see what the kids were doing out on the track and, and stuff. And it, I think it really helped him, you know, become a better driver just from the get go when he was 16. Hands-on so, It certainly hand, helped him more yeah.
2: hands, hands-on, you know,
0: and, and I think all kids should have to, or not. I think all should, kids should go through a, a, something like that.
1: Oh, I, I agree. And this is something actually where the Audi driving experience, uh, the Cadillac V Performance Academy, uh, there are other things like that, but basically what you get to do is you get to car, drive a car sideways where they've got to, you know, they, they, they set it up in one way or another. So the car will go sideways mm-hmm. and how to cover it, what to do when the car is, you know, gets out of control. And, uh, the fun part about doing like the, the Audi driving experience is that I just signed up for the course too. So I did the same course that my son did at okay. the same time. That's a lot more fun than, you know, sitting back and watching him do it. Right. And uh, actually, it's good for it's good for parents to do that because they come up with they're going to learn stuff in that class that they probably haven't picked up in their years that they've been around driving.
2: Sure, that is true.
1: But there are a lot of those kinds of experiences that are available. And I think we need to make people aware of them. You know, if your kid's going to be out driving the car, it's that's a pretty dangerous kind. I mean, there are all kinds of opportunities mm-hmm. that you can't anticipate and you can't teach them outside of some kind of an academy like that where they can actually replicate those if you can replicate driving a car sideways i mean i grew up in iowa i took driver's education on (laughs) ice-covered road you go out on a parking lot and you drive the car sideways and you find out what the car does and how to recover from a skid and you realize well hey this isn't all that bad but you you know you've practiced it and after you've done it a couple times say hey i think i got this down and I've had somebody teach me some of that. I'm going to be making some good decisions that long-term can have a significant uh, impact on my life.
2: I, I remember driving around with my dad. And <clears throat> when I had just turned 16, he took me out and it was snowing. And he said, come on, we're going out in the car. I'm like, "What are we going out in the car for? And he took me to a uh, a local parking lot and we're st- practicing skids and driving around and doing all sorts of donuts and circles and everything. And we were stopped for a second and we were talking and we didn't realize that there was a cop sitting over in the corner and he turned his lights on and came over to us and he expected to, you know, punk kids spinning around being stupid in the parking lot. And he knocked on the window and he's like, what are you guys doing? And he sees my, you know, 50 year old at the time, dad. And, and he said, what are you guys doing? My dad explained, I'm out here teaching him real world how to drive in the snow. And the cop said, well, I've never seen anyone doing that before. Good job. Keep going. <laughs> right. And he uh-huh. left. <laughs> and it was, it was great. And I'm like, oh, Christ, here comes a cop. And we're, you know, we're going to get in trouble. And, and he encouraged us. And it was, uh, it was a good feeling.
1: It, it is good. And this is something that I think we need to do more of. And again, part of the car, people who are in, involved in the car hobby, Need to promote that. Let right. people know that those things are out there or ac- actually talk with folks about how can we teach them to do it. I looked at it and I thought, you know, you know, it'd be nice if the insurance company would recognize this. But from my perspective, I've got all the confidence in the world that he's going to be able to handle that car when it gets out of control, that he's going to be able to recover it. And to me, that's more important for his safety than anything I could worry about money wise.
2: Right. That is That is incredible. Well, I, I certainly thank, uh, thank you for taking some time with us today and uh, and, and talking about the history of uh, oh, yeah. history of Oldsmobile and, and everything you know. You are a uh, incredible value, uh, um, incredible rolodex of information.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, and the only way this information is going to get passed on to other people is for, to talk talk about it, and people listen.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks a ton for being with us today, Jerry.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity. Great.
2: Right, Had tons you. of
0: fun. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it was certainly interesting talking to Jerry. And that guy is a wealth of information. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always fun for me to talk about, not, not just somebody that knows some of the information, but somebody that's ordered a 70 Cutlass new, that was there in the day, and remembers that information. That's, that's cool. Yeah, that is uh, not
2: secondhand knowledge. <clears throat> that's uh, from somebody who physically filled out an order sheet and, and understands what you can get and what you can't get. And uh, sharing that information with everybody now, yeah, uh, that's, that's gold.
0: Yeah, I think that's important that the, the people that have the knowledge that was there back then share it with, with I'm not going to say those that are younger because I'm not exactly a young guy, but share it with everybody, you know, our generation, the next generation, a way to preserve that history. Yeah. I mean, him working with the GM Heritage Center
2: is uh, is just, I, I have no words. That's yeah. incredible. I mean, he touched things and looks at things with uh, people at GM Heritage Center that absolutely no one else in the world has, has gotten a chance to deal with. Right. And there's so many people that are, um, you know, absolute know-it-all type people that are on the internet that, that their word is gospel mm-hmm. and, uh, you know. Along comes someone else with uh, bigger, better, better, and more accurate information.
0: Yeah, correct information. Correct
2: information. So right. that is absolutely invaluable to, yes. uh, to talk to Jerry. So that was, uh, that was super cool. Yeah, it was fun. Make sure you check out our website,
0: getoutanddrive.com, for everything you never wanted to know about our podcast. You can learn more about us. You can buy merchandise and just check out all the fun stuff on our website.
2: John, in 2021, we'll be teaming up with mekiniki.com It's
0: an automotive resource website based in Dubai. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. We're going to have our own little section called uh, John and Sean's Restoration Corner, where we'll share uh, tips and tricks on restorations. You want to restore an old vehicle?
2: Yeah, I think they're even going to have all of our podcast streaming on there. So it'd be a great place for our listeners to find everything in one place as well.
0: Yeah, kind of one-stop shopping. Uh, you get information about uh, restorations listen to us on our podcast
2: that is mikaniki.com m-i-k-a-n-i-k-i.com
0: you can listen to us on apple Podcasts, stitcher iheart radio pandora or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast we're also on facebook instagram and youtube like share give us your comments tag us on twitter at get out and drive pod
2: Be sure to check out our new blog on MeKaniki.com. What Drives You?